Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. Again, happy Father's Day to all you dads. Yeah. Another round of applause here. Yeah, somebody told me on the way in that back when there were collect calls, this was the number one day for the most collect calls, okay? <laughs> Kids calling their dads. Love it. <clears throat> so today, I am really, really excited. I am pumped up to start this new series from the book of Haggai, okay? I'm sure it's a real popular book. You've probably heard lots of messages from Haggai before, right? It's also pronounced Haggai. Both are acceptable. And Haggai was a minor prophet. So if you guys want to follow along, some of you have your Bibles. Go ahead and turn there real quick. Okay, if you're sweating bullets, like, okay, where is Haggai? Uh, I'll tell you where it is. It's right after Zephaniah and right before Zechariah. You know? Another reason to praise God for Bible apps, right? H-A-G, there, there it is. All right. So I want to start by acknowledging this, that oftentimes you can wake up in a certain phase of your life and just have this really sinking, unsettling feeling. And you're going, you know, I really thought that by this time in my life, there would be something different. There would be something more. I'm really surprised that this is where I am. And it doesn't happen just when you're older. It can happen at any season of life. Maybe you're in college and you're thinking, you know, I am really surprised that where I'm at right now in college, I, I thought that I would know where I was going with my life, but, but I don't have a clue where I'm going. Or maybe you've graduated from college and you got the degree and you thought, well, I, I really thought that since I had a degree, you know, I would have a job, a real job with real benefits. But here I am working this job that just seems way beneath my capacity. Man, I thought there'd be something more. Maybe you had plans that by a certain age in your life, you were going to be married. You couldn't wait to get married, and you, you hit that age, and, and you're not married. Or, or maybe you are married, and you thought it would be a good marriage, and you really don't like your marriage. So then you thought, well, we'll have kids, and that'll fill the void. Right? So now you got kids, and you're just busy and broke, and you're still thinking, ah, I thought there'd be something more. I've even known people who have said, you know, I'm going to try religion. I'm going to try religion. So they do the religious thing and it just doesn't quite get it for them, right? And they're thinking, yeah, I thought there'd be something different. I thought there would be something better. I thought there would be something more. And this quite honestly was the mood during the time when the book of Haggai was written. You know, the people were going, I really, really thought that we would be in a different place right now. And so what I want to do before we dive into the book of Haggai is I want to give you some of the backstory before we get in the main story. I'll give you the prequel before we get to the main movie, if you will. And we need to go back to the reign of King Solomon. And during the fourth year of King Solomon's reign, what he did is he started construction on the most magnificent temple for God. I mean, people, it was more glorious than you can imagine. Folks would travel from all over the world to see it, to worship God there. It was completely amazing. But then after King Solomon died, the people's hearts kind of turned away from God. They got distracted like people often do. They started worshiping these foreign gods, these idols. And so God, he allowed a series of events to take place to pull the people back to himself. And just to make it a little easier for you to follow along, I put three main bullet points on your outline, okay? These are kind of the highlights. In 587 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar comes crashing in and destroys the southern kingdom of Judah. Okay, just takes it out, 
takes out the city. It was completely humiliating. The people were taken into captivity. Then to add insult to injury, they destroyed the house of God, the temple, stripping away the very spiritual identity of the Jewish people. Totally devastating. Second main point I put there was that they spent a number of decades in captivity, specifically 50 years after the destruction of the temple. They were in captivity all total about 70 years because they were already in captivity before the temple was destroyed. But for 50 years after the destruction of the temple, they were in captivity. And I think it's easy for us to listen to something like that, to read something like that. It doesn't quite register in our minds. We kind of go, okay, yeah, they were in captivity. So let me put this into a modern context for you. I want you to imagine that right here today, one of our enemy nations develops massive nuclear power. And they say to us, we're gonna take out five major US cities and 10 of your ally country cities unless you surrender to us. And so the president and council of leaders, they meet together and think, well, we can't retaliate. If we do, it'll be, be global mass destruction. I mean, the only option we have is to surrender. And so the government leaders, they all step down. All of a sudden, you and I, we're all no longer citizens of this nation. We are now captives to somebody else. We can't worship the way we want to. We can't go anywhere we want. We're completely in bondage for 50 years. Their children would have been born in captivity. Okay, that's what's going on here. If you can put yourself in their shoes, it would be our worst nightmare come true. And it never just seemed to end. It just kept going on and on and on. But then imagine the relief and the good news when in 538 BC, about 50,000 of them, they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, to rebuild the city, right? We get to go back to our home. We get to rebuild the temple at last. We get our own place again. You can just imagine the relief and the excitement. And so they go back and they start building the temple. They lay the foundation. They start to build the altar. But then some Samaritans come in and oppose them. And all of a sudden they're going, oh, no, wait, this just got hard. This just got difficult. It must not be the right time because this is no longer easy for us. Right, that's the backstory. And so for 14 years, they put the construction of the temple on hold. 14 years. I mean, for 50 years, five decades, that's all they could think about. But when they faced opposition, they just quit the project. 14 years. And guess what they did instead of building the house of God? They actually started building houses for themselves. And they built very, very nice houses for themselves while ignoring the temple of God. And so what God did is he raised up the prophet Haggai to call the people back to rebuild his temple. Make sense? Okay, everybody say, it makes sense. Okay, good. All the rest of you who are confused, we got to move on. Sorry. All right, that was a big backstory. So let's dive into verse 2 of Haggai chapter 1. And to me, this whole book starts out in kind of a funny way. Maybe you'll see the humor here. I I hope you do. Haggai 1-2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. These people say the time has not yet come. Now, the reason I find that kind of humorous is because almost everywhere else in the Old Testament, when God talks about his people, he calls them my people, my people, my people. Okay, in this case, he does what my wife used to do to me when our kids were little and they did something wrong, all right? I don't know if this ever happens at your house, but I would come home from work after our kids had done something bad. And and my wife, Wendy, she would look at me and she would go, you're not going to believe what your kids did today. (laughs) Right? 
And I'm like, you know, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, you were there with me when those kids were conceived, right? We enjoyed it. It was fun. Uh, you were there. I'm allowed to say that in church, right? Because it is fun. <laughs> if it's not fun, you're not doing something right. You know? <laughs> Somebody say amen. amen. Well, <laughs> that's like the loudest amen I've ever heard in the history of this church in my life. My goodness. Anyway, God, God says, moving on, these people, I'll get over it. These people, <clears throat> regain composure. <clears throat> these people <clears throat> say the time is not yet come <laughs> to rebuild the Lord's house. Okay, they're saying the time has not yet come. Why did they think the time wasn't now? Well, they faced opposition. Right? The Samaritans came in, they opposed them. And what's really fascinating to me is that so often, I think in our lives, when we face difficulties, hardships, opposition, we're tempted to kind of back up and go, well, maybe that's not God's will. This just got hard. This just got tough. We need to understand that when you start to move forward and do something that really matters to the heart of God, you are more likely, I believe, to face opposition. Right? Facing opposition, you see, isn't a sign that God is against you. A lot of times it's a sign that you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. A really wise Christian once said, you know, I don't really worry when people are opposing me. I worry when no one is, right? Because then you're not doing much for the glory of God. The moment you start to move forward and do something that God has called you to do, mark it, write this down, <laughs> you will face spiritual opposition. Absolutely. One simple thought if you're taking notes right now, with God's help, choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Over and over again, say, God, with your help, enable me, empower me to choose this hard right over this easy wrong. I mean, it would be so easy to quit focusing on God, just start focusing on myself. It would be hard and it would be right to rebuild this temple. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. It would be so easy when someone's hurt your feelings to hold a grudge, to be angry at them. It's hard and it's right to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. I mean, it's so easy to continue to spend money, right? When you don't have it or, or to buy things, just put it on credit, charge it, charge it, charge it. Go into debt. It's hard and it's right to climb out of debt, to live beneath your means, to live maybe in a way that you can be massively generous towards other people. It's so easy just to give up but we will choose the hard right over the easy wrong. And this is what the prophet Haggai is gonna help enable and empower the people to do. And he tells them, people, the time is now. The time is now. So I want all of us right here in this very moment to think for a second. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Is there some unfinished assignment in my life? Think about that for a moment. And then I want you to experience the rest of this message through the lens of what that unfinished assignment might be. And I don't know what it is for you, but just think back for a moment. Maybe it's something from yesterday. Maybe it's a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. Maybe it's 14 years ago where God put something on your heart. You know, I, I felt like I was supposed to reach out to this person, maybe share my faith with them. Ooh, but that would be hard. That would be difficult. And so you chose the easy way out. I felt like I was supposed to honor God with my body to start eating right, to get in shape, but it was kind of hard to do that. So you just didn't do it. 
I felt like I was supposed to serve in a church ministry somewhere. I was supposed to ask her out, but I chickened out. I was supposed to you know, give something away to somebody. I was supposed to start journaling. I don't know, maybe you felt like you were supposed to start writing a book. What is it for you? I felt like maybe I was supposed to start some ministry. There's something on your heart and you really felt like it was a burden, most likely from God, but you didn't do it. Think about that. And if God shows you something, I want you to listen to the rest of this message through what might be that unfinished assignment, that unfinished business in your life. You know, it's quite possible that God is gonna say to you what he told the people in the time of Haggai. He's gonna say to you, the time is now. The time is now. All right, let's read on. Verses three to five. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, right, the temple, my house, remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to how you're living. I mean, is it a time for you to be living in your paneled houses while my house remains a ruin? Now, you may say, what in the world is a paneled house? According to some of the commentaries I read, this was basically high-end living, right? Like you've got the granite countertops, you've got the crown molding, you've got the best high-def TV money can buy. You've got all this stuff. And hear me on this, God is not against us having nice things. He doesn't want us putting nice things ahead of him though. See, God is not against us having nice things. He doesn't want nice things to have you. He doesn't want nice things to have you. And at this point, the people were putting their own comfort ahead of God's house, ahead of God's priorities. And so God says, hey, give careful thought to your ways. And I just want to pose the question right now as you think about what might be that unfinished assignment. Are you putting your own comfort ahead of God's calling? Are you trying to make a name for yourself instead of trying to make a difference? Or are you consumed with yourself instead of being consumed with God and showing his love to other people? Are you putting your house before God's house? Give careful thought to your ways. God wants us to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Let me just give you an example from my life. And for me personally, by nature, I'm kind of a driven person. I, I like to get things done. I love checklists, okay? I love them. I love efficiency, not wasting time. I don't like boring. I don't do boring very well. I get impatient at times. And if something feels like a waste of time or overkill, that just drives me crazy. Now, I can focus fairly well. I love academia. So throughout my Christian life, Bible study, it's never been a problem for me. But I would say that for a majority of my Christian life, I was never excelling in the area of prayer. Okay, don't get me wrong. I had a daily quiet time. I would pray to God. That was a part of my routine. But I could only pray for so long before I became real restless, uncomfortable. And, and I just chose the easy wrong over the hard right. I mean, I knew, I knew, I knew that I needed to be praying more than I was, but I had all these great excuses, right? You know, that's not my personality. I mean, God knows what I need before I ask him, right? Uh, you know, uh, Jesus said, don't go babbling on and on and on when you pray. God is sovereign. So, I mean, I had these great theological excuses. And then every once in a while, I would pick up a little survey that would say the average pastor today spends less than seven minutes a day in prayer. And I'm thinking, hey, I'm good, right? I'm better than that. I'm above average. God didn't let me off the hook. Man, he just kept hammering me, hammering. He kept speaking to me through different people about the priority of prayer. 
And then I would encounter people, pastors, some other friends whose prayer lives were really rich. And God was showing me the fruit in their life, the fruit of their ministry. And then as our church began to grow, spiritual opposition <laughs> began to be a real issue in our church. I saw the need for urgent prayer and not just prayer in my quiet time, but what about praying throughout the day? Right? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So how often was I inviting God into every moment of my day? And as our people had needs and our church began to grow, I realized I need to be doing these shepherding prayers, praying for the people in our church. And so this conviction just started landing on me and landing on me and landing on me. I was finally like, okay, God, I'll pray a little more. And then I prayed a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And it's still growing today. It's not easy, but I have to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. And some of you right now, there's something in your life you're supposed to be doing. God has called you to do it, but like me, you're choosing that easy wrong. When God is saying, hey, I want you to choose the hard right. The time is now. And let me just show you a couple verses that to me are a bit haunting to think that so little has changed from 500 years before Christ. This is what God says, and I guarantee you that many of you are going to go, this is exactly how I feel, all right? God says to them in verse 6, you planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Wow. Does that strike you like it does me? <laughs> Let me give you the modern translation of this. You're working your tail off and you feel like you got jack squat. <laughs> I mean, you've poured your whole life into this career and it just feels empty, hollow. You've got more stuff than you ever had before and yet you don't feel satisfied. You entertain yourself. You go to games, you go to movies, you eat out, and yet there's still this deep, deep longing inside of you. Dr. Phil may look at you and say, how's that working for you? Right? Dead serious, okay? Give careful thought to your ways. Think about it. Are you putting your own house before God's house? Is there some unfinished business? Like God led you to do something and you just didn't do it. You know, what might that be for you? Okay, verses seven to eight. This is so cool to me. People, God is so loving. God is so good. They're going, we got to build this temple. It's not going well. There's opposition. This is hard. This is difficult. Watch how loving God is. Verse seven. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He says it again there. And then he says, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. So basically, he just breaks it down into three very simple steps. Here's what I want you to do. Number one, go up into the mountains. Number two, bring down timber. Number three, build my house. Good. Let me say it again. Number one, go up into the mountains. Number two, bring down timber. Number three, build my house. First, go up into the mountains. Now, now wait a minute. Well, have you seen that mountain? Oh, man. That's like, whoa. That's hard. That's not easy. My, my sciatica, I don't know if I can make it up <laughs> Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Bring down timber. Oh, no, that doesn't sound easy. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. And then come down and build my temple. Step by step. God says step by step. Here's one, two, three. Now, here's a problem, right? So many of us will go, but God, what about steps four, five, and six, right? I mean, I need the details here. Who's going to pay for this, right? How's it going to go down? Where are we going? Who's going to be up there? Am I going to get a tax write-off on this? I need to know the details, God. How much time is it going to take? Am I going to get my name on a little plaque on that temple? Because 
I don't get my name on the temple. I'm not going to feel good about that. God, what are steps four, five, and six? God says, don't worry about four, five, and six. You just do one, two, and three. Here it is, very simple. Let me just lay it out for you. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Okay, if his word is a lamp for our feet, uh, he may show us steps one, two, and three, but we're not gonna see steps four, five, and six until what? Until we take steps one, two, and three. You've got to do what God has shown you first before he's going to reveal more to you. And a lot of us are going, but I need the details. And God looks at us and says, you can't handle the details, okay? You can't handle the details. I'll, I'll give you what you need when you get there. Just take that first step. What do I do? Go up to the mountains. Get the timber. Bring it down. Build my house. You know, I, I, I really want to get in better shape, but I just don't know where to start. Right, how about eating healthy, right? Lay off the mega stuffed Oreos, uh, get eight hours of sleep, start exercising beyond your daily runs to the refrigerator and back, okay? I, I wanna get out of debt and I, I don't know where to start. Now, how about make a budget, get some advice, spend less than you make, start paying off some of that debt. You know, my marriage is a mess. I don't know what to do, God. Humble yourself. Apologize for things you've done wrong. And how about doing what you used to do? Go on dates, write love notes, right? Send flowers, hug, kiss, blah, 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 whatever. Just do whatever. Do what you used to do. What do I do? Go up in the mountains, bring down the timber, build my house. Step by step. Step by step. Now, what do I do? If you're taking notes, very simply, the way to get started is this. Quit talking and start doing. <laughs> so profound. <clears throat> That's it. Because I know how we work, right? Quit thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. Quit talking about it. Just go up that mountain today. Do something today. Do what you know God wants you to do today. Be faithful to God today. That's how it happened in my prayer life. I just started, okay? And let me tell you what happened when I chose the hard right over the easy wrong. I started by praying for spiritual protection. For me, my family, our church family, for our elders, our staff members, their families, for the whole church. I started praying for our government, our, our leaders, our, our nation, you know, our, our missionaries. I started praying for our culture and the direction it's going. I started praying for our future of our church. And then I started praying for individuals. I just got this crazy idea. If people bring me a prayer request, I'm gonna put it on my prayer request. I'm gonna pray for it every single day. And then all of a sudden I'm getting this long list, right? I'm praying for over 100 people. And I'm like, ah, what am I going to do? So I broke my prayer time in the morning and evening because it was just getting too long. Why? Because it was easy? No, it was hard, but it was right. It's right to pray for God's work in the church. It's right to pray for people in our church. It's right to pray for people by name that I love who don't know Jesus personally. It's right for me to pray for those of you who are hurting, who have burdens, whose marriage is struggling, who just got bad news from the doctor. And let me tell you, the craziest thing happened. I started seeing more answers to prayer. Our church started to flourish and grow. Spiritual attack actually increased because we're reaching more and more people for Jesus Christ. The enemy's not happy about that. And so I talked with our leadership and we all chose the hard right. We said, you know what? We're gonna be praying every single day, sometimes multiple times a day against the enemy. His attacks on us, our family, our church, just everything. You know, whatever the hard right for you is, don't miss it. And here's the deal, listen to this. I had no idea when I started the blessings of God that were on the other side of obedience. See, just do whatever God's called you to do. Ultimately, that's it. 
You know, maybe God is saying to you that you got to reach out to somebody who's hurt you. And you're going, ooh, what if that doesn't go well? Listen, you're not responsible for the outcome. You're responsible for obedience. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is yours. What is that hard right for you? Maybe there's some sin that's been plaguing you and plaguing you. You're keeping a secret. It's hard and it's right to confess it and get some help. Maybe you've been playing fake happy marriage and you've got everyone around you fooled. It's easy to do that. It's hard and it's right to say, hey, we need help. We need some counseling here. You know, maybe God called you at some point to get involved in church ministry. Yeah, I know I should be making a difference. And you're sitting there, you're going, you know, is it God or is it Satan tempting me to serve in church ministry? Get behind me, Satan. Don't use me to make a difference. Of course that's God. Choose the hard right. Don't leave here today without saying to somebody out of the tent there, hey, how can I get involved? Some of you, you know you need Christian community. You need other believers around you to support you. You need it, you need it. You will not do well alone. Reach out, get in Christian community. If there is some unfinished assignment in your life, don't wait for God to raise up a Haggai to call you back. God is saying to you, the time is now. The time is now. The time is now. Let's pray. Lord, I'm just amazed at how these words that were penned some 2,500 years ago have absolute and complete relevance to our lives today. And God, I'm excited about this message, about this series, the next month that we're gonna be spending taking a look at this fascinating book that often gets overlooked. And God, I pray that you would remind us, whatever it is in our lives, not to wait. The time to start is not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's not next month. The time is now. And that's gonna mean choosing the hard right over the easy wrong. God, would you help all of us to look at areas of our life where maybe we're building our own house instead of being focused on yours. And maybe that's why we're not satisfied. Maybe that's why things are not fulfilling to us. And I just pray that we would quit trying to figure it all out. What's step four, five, six, seven, eight, nine? No, just take that first step. God, would you show us what it is in our life, something that you've called us to do, some assignment that's unfinished, something we know that we know that we know that we need to do, and that we would quit talking about it and start doing it. In Jesus' name.